This podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones, the choice of today's creative generation. Small HD, real-time confidence for creatives. Hey everybody, this is Charles Hayne. I'm here at Sundance 2020 doing another one of our roundtables. This time I'm doing the Colorist Roundtable, which I'm like personally exceptionally excited about and hopefully you guys will enjoy as well. I'm here with... Natasha Ikoli. Nat Jenks. Samuel Gursky. What are you guys here with? I am here with Farewell Amour, a feature film directed by Equa Masengi and uh, shot by Bruce Cole. And also a short film uh, titled See You Next Time. Awesome. Matt? Um, uh, I'm here with, uh, let me see, um, I guess in the order that they screened, a film called Shirley, uh, directed by Josephine Decker, a film called 40-Year-Old Version, directed by Rada Blank, um, a film called Save Yourselves, and also a film called Nine Days. I'm so sad to have to follow that up. Uh, <laughs> here with uh, Star Sisters uh, by Bradley Elliott, um, Three Deaths by Jay Dockendorf, and a short called Narcissister uh, Breastwork, which is uh, directed by the artist Narcissister. And they're all shorts. Oh, very cool. Uh, four is a lot. I mean, have you had four in the festival? In one yeah, year no, that's, I mean, that's uh, the every year is different is totally true. I mean, my experience with Sundance is like, you know, some years I'll have a, a ton and then other films I'll, other years I'll have, have, you know, no films or one film. And then, you know, one year I had five, you know, it, so it's, you know, for me, it's like, uh, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to the, so like rather there's more or less, but yeah. Do you feel a, like fall is, I mean, and this is for everybody. Do you feel like fall ramping up to Sundance screenings is big, is a busier time in your schedule? Um, usually like you get a lot of requests around the fall uh, because people are expecting or anticipating or wishing that they will be called and not everyone does, you know, uh, because it's a very competitive uh, film festival, but definitely it makes that, part of the year the busiest time of year at least on my end for sure yeah i think you know one of the things that's tricky um is i think a lot of um for better or worse a lot of films these days uh schedule kind of the whole schedule of the film aiming towards a festival release and so their whole editorial and even you know wrapping production schedule is all sort of with some of these things in mind and then so for for me like there becomes this whole dance of like people put time on hold like way in advance anticipating um you know whether it's a Sundance or can or who knows what that they have a festival in mind that they're hoping they're going to get into um and so all of these blocks of time get put on hold and then of course people either get in or they don't get into the festivals that they want or their their edit continues or like you know um things change and then um it's the whole sort of tetris of like rearranging the schedules um uh, which can be tricky um and so the the other yeah, fall season is definitely um uh really dominated by that type of scheduling trickiness where it's like you know everyone wants to reserve the you know those last three weeks, weeks of, of december of december and or even like the end of november and like that little window 
you know, is when everyone would like to imagine that they're going to be finishing. And just to jump off what you said in terms of scheduling, I really wish um, now that it's been like, you know, a, a couple of years doing these like, you know, festival rounds and all that, that people would include finishing in the, you know, uh, production schedule mm-hmm. with a little bit more. But yeah. really, it's like, um, it, it, it almost comes sometimes a little bit as an afterthought uh, and not allocating enough time to do something that's like, ultimately, this is a, you know, it's a visual form. It's a visual art. People are going to see it with their eyes and you want to give yourself as much time as possible. And it's like, Christmas, Thanksgiving, if you're in the U.S., and then New Year's, like, you know, the that whole... Yeah. Well, and at a certain indie budget level, there's still this delusion that you can color grade a feature in five days and that that's all you're going to need. And, like, that's, like, the default in someone's budget template somewhere. And I'm like, actually, five days is really not that much time to color grade a feature. But for some reason, at a cer- like, at certain budget levels, it is widely accepted that that is not enough. But, like, in the true indie space, and you're like, that, that's not enough time. But you feel like you're arguing for more money when you're really arguing for the quality of the work. That is constantly what I find myself bumping up against, where it's it's always like the the budget is never or not never flexible. The budget is more frequently inflexible, but it's find myself fighting for the time where it, it really, you know, it's it's the thing that's gonna make the end product better. It's it's like, you know, if, especially getting like time and space from it. I think that the scheduling, like you're saying, is incredibly important because beyond beyond just even like the working time, like having time to step away and then come back and revisit something, you view it a completely different way. And I think that that's that's even even more so important. Oh, yeah. I've gotten to the point now where like if somebody I mean, I haven't I'm an academic now, but like towards the end of my coloring, if someone wanted to do a Monday through Friday, I was like, can we please just do like a Thursday through Wednesday? So we have two days where we're away from it, where it's not just five days in a row, because you can find yourself going down this weird rabbit hole. And then all of a sudden you watch it again the next Monday and you're like, oh, wow, we're really going a strange place, aren't we? Absolutely. I've seen that happen many times where even for myself, just like to sleep on it because you spent a 10 hour, 12 hour day watching something and, you know, you just need to step back and come back to it and realize, okay, so it was good that we explored that direction. So we don't have to do that again. You know, we've already tried to tweak the saturation or the, the highlights or whatever. And now we know that it doesn't work. So we can table that and move on. But you need that time, like that reflection time. And I guess it's like one of the things that's a little unique in this part of the, you know, um, process is time actually matters. Time to do it, time to sit back, time to show others, time to see it on other devices. Um, Time. It it does all come down to the time that you allow yourself to explore things, right? And like, you know, I think that for lots of films... um, Five days can be enough to yeah. to do a feature, but you don't know, right? And that if you and until you start doing something, and if you if you box yourself into a mentality before you begin, where you know that you don't have time to explore things that might potentially take you in yeah. in a direction that would derail you, you you put yourself in a in a mental and creative space where you're really not like um, you're just con- continually moving towards a more conservative vision of what the what the film could be and saying like, well, we're just going to get this done. Right. Yeah. And so like instead of exploring this crazy idea of like, well, what if we 
could we play this whole day for night scene as like, you know, monochromatic instead of blue or whatever, you know, um, you just don't have time in like that five day schedule to have those excursions where you get off the road and go and do something and then come back the next time that you screen it and say like, oh, that was a cool idea, but I think like actually it's not really working. So now let's go redo that. You know, you only have time to just like do, do, do the most obvious thing that's like what everyone kind of planned to do yeah. and just execute that in like the most, uh, like the, the shortest line between point A and point B. Yeah. I feel like there's also part of it, you know, uh, in, in color in particular that's unique is that there's a big part of it that's a little bit subjective. There's no like universal truth of like, you know, what. There's no button you can hit that makes it look good. There's no button. <laughs> and, and, and more importantly, there's no button that the director or the DP can push and be like, this is the color I want. Because a lot of times, you know, people come in with like maybe an idea or a concept. They've they tried things obviously on set with costumes, with lighting. And then once the, you know, color starts to be applied, you know, there really isn't a right or wrong. So the collaboration needs time the process yeah. needs time for everyone involved to like get to be like okay we you know like what you were saying you need time to build that together because there's no like objective like this this should be blue or yeah. this should be green like it's how do you guys feel and how does it serve the story and you know is it feasible with the material you shot and if it's not, like, how much time do we want to spend exploring if it's possible? So I don't know if you relate to that, but, that, you know, I feel like that's one of the things that makes it a little unique, like, as a role, is no one is really right and no one is really wrong either. Like, you're always in that space where it's like, well, you know, it could work. Let, let's try. Yeah, and I think a lot of times um, it's hard to form an opinion that is meaningful until you've um, watch the film, you know, in real time w with a whole pass done, right? Because like you can sit and, and look at a single shot and, you know, say like, oh, this like piece of metal is too shiny or, you know, that the blue is too saturated. And like, it, it's, it's very difficult to extrapolate those ideas into the type of, into thinking about what it's going to feel like when you watch the movie. One way to be involved earlier is to be involved on set, to be invited to build the show lot. Like, cause you know, if you're building the show lot, if you're interfacing with the DIT, so the dailies are getting pre-graded, are any of the projects, like, are you guys starting to get more of that opportunity or cause it's certainly happening at the high end, but I like, I don't know if it's getting to the indies yet or if indies are still operating in that traditional, like we're going to shoot it and we'll worry about color at the end. So I have one project for, this is the first time, uh, and it's only because I have a relationship with the cinematographer and we've known each other and I've helped him on a couple of short films before. And now um, it's a feature documentary for which we tried out some LUTs beforehand because they were going to do a lot of recreation uh, to illustrate some of the points. So it was going to be studio and like, you know, controlled environment. So the cinematographer was able to get some test footage and bring it to me so we could be like, okay, 
you know, we can trade this, we could trade that. And, you know, what were the settings that you had on your camera? He uses a red. So, you know, we were able to just like uh, experiment, like literally be in a place where you could be like, this is not, you know, uh, a final. This is just troubleshooting together, looking at what you like to do when you're on set and looking at what's possible. Um, I use Resolve mostly and just looking at what's possible once that piece of material comes here. But it's the first time and I'm really pushing for more uh, collaboration that starts that way. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily know if it's an... Um, if it's going to be beneficial for the production to have a colorist like poaching, you know, they already have yeah. so many like, you know, cooks in the kitchen at that point that maybe you don't necessarily want to be there. But like with the cinematographer, if the relationship becomes more entwined, which I don't really foresee a future where it won't be like, you know, more and more the cameras are such that, you know, they're cheaper, more accessible and they all lug. So yeah. The cinematographers are going to have to accept that you need a partner colorist that you trust, that you have a good, you know, um, process with, because we're not going back to uh, the old ways of like you choose your print and you go to the lab and that's it, done, you know. So just this one project. I've For me, I found that the longer I, that I've been doing it and also the longer that these type of workflows have been like easy and accessible um uh the more frequently it can happen um i mean I guess you're asking specifically on projects so i guess of, of for three three of the four films that um i have here i did uh you know pre-production testing and built oh. lots and loaded in camera and had that be in dailies and the whole, I mean, with film, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Cause obviously then you're not, it's not like the same of like, Oh, you view it in the viewfinder. Um, you know, it, it's like, okay, well we have a lot that we can use for dailies. Um, and then that, that also, it, it's a different process. Um, because, um, I found f for, for shooting digitally with certainly with a lot of DPs that I work with, um, if we really spend the time and dial in um, a show a lot that we like at the beginning, a lot of DPs I work with like light pretty precisely on on set, so that the a lot of times the dailies grade is actually not a grade. It's just a we just push it through with a one light, um, unless there's something very specific that's that's off with it. Oh, we, like that one was just too dark because whatever, whatever, I don't know, something happened. Right. And so like that can't just be pushed through, but, um, that where a lot of times the dailies might just be not, they might not have a grade on them. Um, they might just be like pushed through with the show a lot. or that if there's a, if there's, um, a DIT on set that is, uh, capable and um, competent in that area. They might be doing like a live grade situation or doing it, you know, after the fact. Um, but the, the dailies can come through um, looking very, very much um, like where the starting point for the DI should be. Um, with film, it's harder, you know, just it's a, such less of a controlled process. You know, I mean, if you're... Um, you know, I suppose it's different if it's like Roger Deakins or something and you can, you know, be incredibly precise in the 
the way the operation of things on set, then you can, of course, achieve that same precision with film. But it's just so much easier digitally um, with like on indies that are shooting on film. There's just tends to be a little bit more um, unpredictability and in, yeah. in, in everything. Um, for context, for people listening, one of the four films that Nat colored, 40-year-old version, was shot film. Yes, sorry, yeah. Right. Um, and uh, that was shot on, on uh, 35-millimeter black and white film. But the night scenes were shot on color film, right? Uh, some, some of the stuff was shot on color film, yeah. yeah. Um, and then were, who, were you involved in the daily, like the transfer color grade? Um, to, to some extent, yeah. I worked with Eric in the very beginning, um, uh, looking at different types of black and white um, film emulation. You know, it's nice to have those, to at least start those conversations, um, right? Because in a way, we were already one step ahead, having um, like started looking at that, you know, in pre-production, as opposed to like the first time that we ever look at that being like day one of the grade. Rode Microphones, the choice of today's creative generation. This podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones, the Australian pro audio powerhouse making incredible gear for podcasters, vloggers, filmmakers, and musicians. Rode is at the vanguard of innovation for audio solutions for podcasters, offering groundbreaking products like the Rodecaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio, and PodMic, the ultimate podcasting microphone. Find out more about how Rode can help you cut through the noise at rode.com podcasting. That's R-O-D-E dot com forward slash podcasting. Small HD, real-time confidence for creatives. Founded by a group of independent filmmakers, Small HD has been innovating the on-camera and production monitor industry for an entire decade. It started by creating the first ever HD monitor that could sit on top of a DSLR. Today, its products include the 703 Bolt that has an integrated wireless receiver and a daylight viewable screen. Small HD is in the business of providing real-time confidence for creatives. With an extremely wide range of field monitors, Small HD prides itself on durability and usability. Whether it's paired with a mirrorless camera during a wedding or used for Video Village in Hollywood, Small HD has a monitor for every production. Powerful software tools, a unified user experience, and premium display quality help make Small HD monitors the industry standard. Stop wondering if you've nailed the shot. Start having more confidence at the camera with Small HD. On camera and production monitors starting at just $299. For more information about Small HD products, go to smallhd.com. I found that a lot of the time I will end up working with um, director and DP when, uh, when the films are at the submission phase. So then you know, I can do a lot of that experimenting, um, really get the chance to do a lot of the trial and error of like exploring looks, seeing, you know, what does and doesn't work, see it play in full, and then get the chance to, like you're saying, review it on a lot of different devices. Because that's, I think, ultimately the the thing for me is a lot of that work ends up, though it plays here in a theatrical space, that work ends up living on the internet and people are looking at it on their cell phones. And that's, I find that uh, the, the time then, I don't necessarily get the time in pre-production to work with people to develop looks, but getting the chance to really, you know, I think every, the exception of the Narcissister Project, I had done a full pass of every film that was submitted uh, and then once it got in, went back and you know, sometimes one of them, we completely went back and regraded and reinvented and the other one we just kind of went through and tightened and it's 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 an interesting process of having that time and space you know I can't necessarily because short form work has its own 
limitations just in terms of budget and timing and typically you know people are getting pulled in a million different directions um it's it's definitely much more feasible to you know i i do end up with like an august rush and then you know a december to like christmas to middle of january rush but what that sort of ends up with is still that time to experiment so yeah yeah i have a question for the for you guys like i mean how have you guys found um working with um with dits in general because that's that's something that i found to be like really hit or miss um where sometimes it can be really beneficial typically a lot of the projects i'm working on end up just having a media manager um but i started out my career as a dit and so i definitely appreciate that role and, and everything it's capable of. And I do think that it's it's uh, interesting to hear it thought of as like the assistant or the junior like colorist to be uh, starting early to really get a head start on that. And I think that that's a it's an interesting approach to trying to get a little bit more of like a pipeline sorted out in advance. I think for the most part, if we're if let's say my company is like working on a project and we're um, going to be dealing with the workflow anyway, we'll end up you know, setting looks and dealing with setting up the LUTs. And then we end up just sending them out something to be monitoring with and deal with transcodes when the footage comes back. But I don't typically end up having too much back and forth. I wish we could. Yeah, I um, usually the projects that I work, to, I work on, uh, I um, get approached like way after everything has already been established. So um, I don't often get to hear about the DIT or know them, but there's this one project when uh, to dust the DIT came for part of the color session oh. at the beginning, and it was really helpful. And the cinematographer requested that, um, or like you know, sort of asked that you know, can we invite the DIT to come because on set they were locked like this. So and you found that to be helpful it was really helpful I would have been like uh, <laughs> like yes you can because I don't want to be rude but that sounds like a nightmare he came for two um, days very early on and it was really helpful because so first he like you know just knew he had like the sort of uh, the memory or of like what happened and you know why is this looking this way and you know um, just being there as like the onset uh, you know, historical record, you know, being able to be like, wait, why is this looking like this? And they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember it's because, and more for the cinematographer than for me, like, and because they had a really strong relationship, so it helped. So it became like a trio, like, you know, okay, you were there on set, the DP relied on you for like how you were like, you know, um, offloading things and like, you know, putting the lot on it so that he can visualize it. And then I come in and we have this whole, but that was the only time and it worked. Other than that, every time I've ever had to interact with DIT was to, um, you know, um, ask for, wait, why is this uh, in the same folder? Why are the, you know, uh, proxies merged there? And why is this lot looking all bizarre? And now the client is like, I want it to look like the lot. And you're like, yeah, but the lot is like, I don't know where it comes from, how it was created, and we can't re- and, and, and yeah. we can retrieve it. Also, like you know, we could maybe like take it as a source. So usually, like the lack of conversation makes it so that when we do have a conversation, it's 
to you know uh, find out where you know how to fix problems um and yeah i agree with you i wish there were more of a you know trio like a collab because it really is a chain that starts with the dit who's like He's the one who's going to be in control on set of what lot gets in, how the footage is offloaded, and then the cinematographer, if he can be there, that's great, you know, doing color because, believe it or not, sometimes, you know, people are booked for other projects, which is usually like the sort of more honorable reason not to be there. But sometimes, you know, uh, people are just not available and, you know, they, they're not there and you just left in this like, uh, okay, like I'm the last one with the torch and uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep moving forward. Um, but yeah, hopefully like conversations like this, like, you know, just uh, seeing how the, um, the finishing part of um, uh, production is transforming and how those collaborations are going to evolve um, and what they're going to be like, I don't know, but hopefully more um, respecting of the fact that what are you giving me? You just, I'm just taking the baton like here, yeah. like, you know, so whatever you do there, know that I, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to have as a starting point. And if we could just agree ahead of time of, you know, what that relay looks like, you know, that makes the process like a lot easier. There really should be, you know, two positions on on set one being data management and the other being like the onset colorist I'm, I'm also realizing that one of the reasons why i've been starting to have a little bit more of that collaboration with the dits is because the um the workflows like using like cdls mm -hmm. um have gotten a little bit uh simpler and easier and more accessible if you have the time to set up a workflow where you know the the DIT is doing a live grade in a way that um, jives with what you are gonna be doing. Then it's like great because all those adjustments. A, it's like a, it's all it's some of that like work is already done, but also people have been looking at it that way. Yeah. Um. So it's like the more that that it, and like that's just good for everyone for it to a be looking at how it's going to be, but also just looking at it that much better for the whole time. Like, so also avoids temp love. I feel like I yeah. very frequently will find could that. Write a hold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Remember when log first came out and you would sit down in a session and they'd be like, yeah, we really like this. And I'm like, no, no, this is log. You just cut log. Like I'll make a grade this flat, but like, you know that this is, uh, yeah. Yeah. I worked on like big national commercials where they'd fallen in love with the log. And I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. So maybe the working lot should be so bad that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think that there's like, there is like almost a point where like, I kind of feel like, like I almost sometimes would sort of wish that it's like either like so bad that there's no attachment to it. And it's like so clear that like we have to start over. But that's it's not like, possible. Right. No matter how bad you tried to make it, people would fall in love with it. Right. It's, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I mean, and that that's totally like, uh, I mean, the fact that people edit with log material and then just like how it looks is a total proof of that beyond yeah. anything else, you know, where it's like, yeah. But then it becomes, so I don't know if it, this is a question for you, like I, you know, see that a lot of the role also involves almost like being, you know, a midwife, like helping people accept and understand that 
I understand you've seen this for eight months and it seems natural and normal to you, but let me hold your hand and show you that, you know, here's the, you know, how it could be and how much better it is and kind of make a case like for, um, without sounding like you trying to derail the vision, but more like, you know, uh, getting into the psychology of it and being like, realize that what you're experiencing right now is the template of like realize what you're experiencing right now has nothing to do with the film or with the decisions that you made on set, but just your eye, like, you know, the tool that it is gets so used to something that all of a sudden seeing it differently is like, you know, a little bit of a shock and you, you, you just like, Oh, now this scene feels different because we cut it this way. And, uh, you know, we did, we never saw that in a the background there. And now we're seeing this. It's like, yes, I know. Just, Stay with us. Stay with me. <laughs> we'll get there. And it, it 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 it's kind of like that dual, like the technical aspect of things, the creative aspect, but also like a little bit of like the emotional support part a of it. Bit. Yeah. You have job. <laughs> and you know that I think also just goes like hand in hand with developing that trust, right? That someone is like believes you when you say that you know and like knows and trusts your taste that like if you're saying like no i really believe that the reason that you're attached to this is because of you know you're because you've been working with it as opposed to like that's your vision that they can like instead of dismissing you like think like okay this is a person i trust and like if they're saying that i don't have to just accept it but let me entertain that idea for a little bit you know um because like yeah i've had that like discussion so many times i mean a lot of times like i find it's useful to like with the log thing or whatever like you know i can i mean a lot of times you know we by by the nature of it a lot of times even with a perfectly done even if no it's someone's not working from the log a lot of times the the dailies a lot if they're using like an ARRI Rec 709 or something tends to be a little less contrasty than what you want you know and part of that part of that is even makes a little bit of sense because if you don't have anyone grading it during dailies then you know there's more more wiggle room with something that's less contrasty like if you have something crazy contrasty and then you don't grade it some of the shots are just going to be like nothing black and some of them will be blown out um, well, you, you're just bringing up another, you know, topic of like the vocabulary. Like, are we understanding the same thing when we sing contrasty? Sometimes you also, after like a few hours, you're like, you know what? I'm going to interpret what you just said. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to try to, con- you know, use, you know, whatever word you want to use. But I think what you mean to say, and that's like one of my recurring sentences often I start with. I think what you mean to say is this. And just show the before after without going into yeah. the, you know, technicalities. Totally. Or, yeah. I mean, I don't think I've never done it, and I think it maybe would feel strange and silly. But like, I, I part of me almost thinks like, yeah, like it would be useful to spend like fifteen minutes just doing like a vocabulary <laughs> recap, like at the top, and be like, I'm going to show you what more contrast is. I'm going to show you what less contrast is. I'm going to show you when I make it warmer. I'm going to show you when I make it colder. I'm going to show you when I make yeah. it brighter and darker. I try to tell 
their clients, like, you know, half of that, this is 10%. Like, you know, just yeah. like, you kind of reduce it to something that's like, okay, a notch. Like, you know, a lot of yeah. times people, a notch, what's a notch? Like, you know, <laughs> and so it's like, you know, this is 50% of where we were. This is like, you know, 10% of where we were. And using a lot of the, um, the, um, just like cutting in half the, the actual. The numbers in the GUI. Yes, yeah. exactly. And just being like, you know, if, if this is going to be easier to communicate, you know, than like, you know, a tiny bit or like, you know, notch more, because then it's like, well, a notch depends on how forceful you are with the wheel, <laughs> you know, like a notch yeah. for you could be a lot for me. So if we can use some of the mathematical tools that are there for us to communicate, and, you know, not everyone is like a res responsive to that. Not everyone wants to communicate that way. Like, sure. you know, uh, I try to use the scopes a lot in like the conversation that I have with people and be like, please, like, you know, in this moment here, like if I'm telling you it's crushed, I'm not inventing it from just yeah. looking at the, like I'm looking at the scopes here and you can come around and see and, but not everyone wants to engage that way. So then you find ways to just be like, oh, this is half of it. Or this is just like a simpler vocabulary to like keep it like you know more direct there is like a certain level of science to it that i think because it's a perceptive art like people are very keen to just sort of react to what they're seeing but i think that it's it's always helpful like i have that conversation frequently where i find that it's like well if you look at it in the scopes like this is where things are at because ultimately it's really easy to to lose track of but as soon as you're like okay i have this diagnostic tool that i can just sort of snap back to for a moment it, it helps helps me at least this has made my favorite round table so far and we've like we're talking about the meaning of language and communicating it's really great unfortunately we're gonna wrap it up but thank you guys so much i've been here with sam gersky and nat jenks and natasha ickley thank you so much this has been charles hayne for no film school at sundance 2020 this podcast was recorded using Rode microphones and technology.